This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. To be good information architects, we need to crack open some Psych 101 textbooks, learn what motivates people, and then bake these ideas into our designs. Vice President of Design at Vuzi, Stephen P. Anderson, has been gathering and analyzing specific examples of sites that have designed serendipity, arousal, rewards, and other seductive elements into their applications. By understanding basic psychological principles, Stephen argues, we can all raise the bar on all of our projects. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Um, this, I like Sidebar Widget. You can download that so it can monitor your music and make things more interactive. Um, up to this point, this is a good experience, but it's just a very usable one, right? It didn't draw me in. It's just a really well-designed, well usable form. The part I was expecting was the part that's on every music site, which is something like this. List your favorite bands separated by commas. Now, how many of you have seen something like this on a music site, right? Yeah, you get to this page, and it's like, list your favorite whatever separated by comma. And this is a usable way to get information from people, but it's not a very convenient, or very desirable, or very fun way to get information. And that's what I expected, because you know, I encountered a million sites, music sites, that did this exact same thing. Instead, they didn't give me this option. I like did this. They just splashed up a page with about 30 tiles of random bands and artists. And they said, tell us which artists you like. And first, I was surprised by that, because it wasn't the form I was expecting. And I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. So you know, I clicked on some bands, you know, like Coldplay, I like Coldplay, Radiohead, The Beatles, all right. And then uh, scrolled to the bottom, and when I got to the bottom, there's two options. Go to my homepage, meaning you know, be done with this, or show me more artists. All right, now what would most of you do at this time, at this point? Show me more artists, yes. It, they, they didn't have, you know, I have very niche interests, and you know, while I like Coldplay and Radiohead, they weren't my you know, favorite bands. So I was like, okay, I want to see if my favorite bands come up. Um, and this is fun, right? I'm getting to click on bands that I like. And it's, there's no typing, it's just clicks, right? So yeah, I clicked Show Me More Artists. In fact, um, I clicked Show Me More Artists 10 more times until that wasn't an option anymore. It said, go to your homepage. Because uh, I had so much fun. Now let's step back for a second. We talk a lot about creating user value and business value. And we draw the circles. And we say the sweet spot is when they overlap. You've seen this uh, before. Well, let's look at this experience. The user goals. I had a fantastic time clicking on bands I like. It was fun. It was a passive experience. I mean, it was, it was very enjoyable. I like gained lots of data about my musical taste and preferences. And that is their gold mine, trying to get data and list your preferences, right? Let's compare this to other sites. Where the form field is, I've usually, on average, put in five to seven bands. And it's the same five to seven bands that you know, I like, that make me, you know, they're part of my identity, because other people are going to see it, so I carefully select those. Um, I like actually picked up probably about 35 to 40 bands that I like or have some interest in during this process. So they gained a lot more data. So from business value, by creating a seductive interaction, which is how I characterize this, they created more business value and I had a better experience. Win-win situation. So why did this work? And this is, this is really what I've tried to do with all these examples is, you know, I find these examples, they excite me and I say, okay, well, why did this work? Why was this powerful? Why did this influence? Well, if you go to psychology, there's the idea of a feedback loop. 
All right, and the idea there is our actions will modify subsequent results. So whatever we do is going to change what follows. And at the top of the, of the uh, page, right below, tell us which artist you like, it said, um, the more artists you rate, the better. Now, it doesn't say it's going to get better on the next page or better in two weeks. It kind of leaves that vague. So they're not promising anything, but it says, the more you tell us, the better it'll get. And so there's that promise there. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll click more bands. And the more bands I click, the better the results. So I'm curious if you know, page two will be better than you know, page three will be better than page two, will be better than page one. So there's that feedback loop and that uh, curiosity, which is the second thing I would comment on. Uh, I was curious you know, how things would play out. I was also curious, what are the next sam random sampling of bands they're going to throw up? Is it going to be totally random, or is it going to get progressively better each time? So by the time I'm at the 10th page, is it going to be more in the genres I like? So there's that curiosity. There was also visual imagery. And I actually cut a whole section on visual imagery, but I could spend an hour talking about just this one piece. It's one of my passions. But if you go to brain science and you read some of the work by Stephen Kostlin and other folks, I mean, we think in pictures. In fact, let me give you a quick exercise. I want you to list the appliances that are on your kitchen counter right now. All right, stop. What did you do in your head? You, you, you saw pictures. You, saw, you were counting and thinking in pictures. And that's how we think. And there's a whole, I could spend the whole presentation talking just about that. Um, but it was visual, all right? In fact, if you look at this I like page, all these bands and, these, and these, uh, the I like option, it's nothing more than a radio, radio button, or a, uh, sorry, a checkbox list, right? It's a list with checkboxes and you're clicking on it, right? We use checkboxes in our form designs all the time. This is much more engaging because it's visual. There's also pattern recognition. Our brains want to find patterns in things. So I'm looking to say, okay, after I gave some feedback, did it start to reshape? Are these, how would I classify these bands? So I was looking for those patterns. And then probably the most powerful thing, um, I was trying to figure out what's, what the principle was because I kept saying, you know, humans are lazy, but what's the, what's the <laughs> correlating psychological principle? Well, it's recognition over recall is what I would say here. In the empty form field, I have to remember the bands I like. It's recall. In this scenario, it was recognition. They do, they're just going to show me stuff, and all I have to say is, you know, yes, no. I like, I don't like. It's a very lazy way to interact with the system. Okay, but wait, there's more. The I like story continues. So after I'd played that game and spent a little time on the site, and I went back, checked my email, and this was the email message I got, confirmation message I got from I like. And, you know, most of these confirmation messages are welcome aboard, we hope you come back, here's a link to come back to the site, blah, 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 right? Well, they actually had a couple other options, and one of those was play the I like challenge. And they don't tell you anymore, but it's just play the I like challenge. Uh, very curious language. I'm like, okay, what is the I like challenge? They don't tell me. I have to click to find out what the challenge is, but of course I'm curious now. I had a great experience before. What's the I like challenge? So I click through it and I go, and they have this pure, it's pure game mechanics. Uh, in fact, if you heard the presentation, Dominique's on game mechanics, he probably talked a lot about these elements. It's, uh, they have, they'll, they'll splash up an audio sample. It's 30 seconds. They'll start to play the sample, and you have multiple choice, four options, A, B, C, or D. And the options are, are, are of two kinds. It's either identify the band or identify the name of the song by this band. So in this scenario, the one we're looking at here, it's name this gorilla's song, and it gives you four song title options. And it starts playing, and, and there's, there's some really powerful motivators here. First is you know, the motivation to get the question right. right? Um, but then there's timing. So it starts from 30 seconds and counts down. And if you answer within 27 to 30 seconds, you get 10 points. If you answer within like 25 to 27 seconds, it's nine points, and it goes down. So if it takes you a full 20 seconds to figure out the answer, you're getting like three points. So there's, there's a, 
are you right or wrong, and how quickly can you get the answer right? And we'll get to worse, because um, they actually are tracking all this off to the right-hand side, so you can actually see how you're doing. So um, at this point, when I took the screenshot, I, my rank is a music intern, all right? Um, my total points are 152. That's how many points since I started playing this game I've got right, uh, I got correct. Points to get to the next rank, so think about our LinkedIn percentage completeness. So if I earn 48 more points, I'll be the next rank, whatever that is, after music in turn. Uh, my best streak, and this is the one that really got me, um, the best consecutive, like, you know, without getting the answers wrong, my best streak was a total of 47 points. Uh, the current streak, I'm on 17. Uh, questions answered total since I started playing this game, 26, correct, 17, which is, you know, 65.4% of the time. And average answer time is in 5.9 seconds. They're giving me all this feedback on my performance in this game. Um, let me just tell you, I spent 30 minutes playing this. My wife came home. She was exhausted. I think she had been at a dance class or something, was tired. Um, she was like, I, I just want to go sit in front of the TV and, you know, watch veg out, right? And I said, no, no, you've got, you got to come check this out. And, she, you know, she has this hate relationship with the computer because I spend all my time in front of it. And I was like, no, no, no you've got to check it out. You've got to check it out. She's like, oh, okay. So I dragged her over there. I put the laptop in front of her, and I said, just, it's a game. Play it. So she, you know, she did the first question. She's like, you know, I think got it right because she's a musical genius. Did the next question. 45 minutes later, <laughs> I had to close the laptop, literally push it away and say, let's go watch that TV because I wanted to see the newest episode of Lost, right? Um, powerful, powerful stuff. There's also something else going on. Below each question, they also have this area where it says uh, previous question. So whatever you answered, correct, whether it's incorrect or correct, um, the, to the previous question, you could, um, they, they tell you all about the song, who the artist is, so you can actually pause the game and click, oh yeah, I like that band. So think of those songs you hear on the radio and you might not know who the band was or who the artist is. Well, they're giving you a chance by you know, exposing you this information in the form of a game to actually click on that and add it to things you like. Uh, and then, of course, there's the social motivators. As you browse the site, you can see other people's profiles. And this is a guy who's apparently a music deity, which you get after you've earned over 50,000 points. Um, so obviously, you can see this is a very powerful site. It's working. Let me come back to that comment on user goals and business goals. In this case, I had a great time playing a music game. Business goals, um, I like getting a lot of data about my music taste preferences. And in this case, this is really interesting, my knowledge. Right? They didn't ask me what genres do you like, what things do you prefer, um, but they learned it. You know, by the fact that you know, they splashed up an alternative indie band, I can nail it and I can nail the songs by that band, but then they splashed up an R you know, which R&B artist is this, and I get the answer wrong every time. They're learning something about my knowledge patterns or what I know about these bands. So they're learning by my behaviors and my actions. So very powerful. Why did this work? I could just fast forward and say uh, game mechanics and sum it up there, but I'll call it a few things. It was a very sensory experience. So they were engaging, you know, through audio, they were engaging me with, in different ways. There was the points, you know, the system in all different fashions. Levels, you know, with a name, I, you know, I don't know if I want to be a music deity. That's a lot of time. <laughs> but uh, they had that. And then appropriate challenges. So they, they would mix the challenges. Like the, the song titles were harder than the bands, but they would mix them up. And it kept me engaged. So one thing, and I commented this earlier. Did you notice it wasn't the usability that makes the site great? It was all these things in the realm of psychology, game mechanics, social sciences, things like that. And I was trying to find a way to explain this to one of my coworkers. I was like, it's not just that they made it better or focused on fixing problems. Um, it's they did, well, let me just show you, right? And that's what I would do. It wasn't until I saw this uh, slide uh, from Joshua Porter that 
it, this was like, this is how I explained it all. Usability is really concerned with removing friction. And by the way, this is from uh, context. This is from a presentation he did on sign up, getting to sign up. Great presentation, uh, very similar to this. Um, he talks about removing friction, and I would say that's usability. And then where he's focused a lot more of his time, and where I've focused a lot more time, is increasing that motivation. Because I've encountered, and I'm sure you've encountered, forms that are really bad, but if the motivation is high enough, people will you know, wade through that and work through a bad form because they want to get the payoff at the end. And obviously, we want to do everything we can to reduce that friction, but I think it's much more powerful to focus on the motivation as well. And, and you know, with patterns and pattern libraries and a lot of things, it's becoming much easier to get a good usable form um, out of the gate from the start. So I think this is definitely an area that's interesting to focus on. Okay, pause. I want you to pull out a piece of paper, or if you're using your laptop, that will work. Uh, you know, maybe use the back of the business card that someone handed you, something to write down some notes. We're gonna do a quick exercise. Don't worry, it's an easy one. And here's the exercise. I want you to answer this question. What do we know, or what do you know, just in general, about people? Just some things about people. Human nature, right? Like I mentioned, we're lazy, right? We're highly visual thinkers and learners, so those are a couple things I wrote down. All right, and let me hear just a few of these from the audience. What are some things just about people? Yes? We seek pleasure and avoid pain, yes? We're curious, yes, very good. We're greedy, yep. Easily distracted. Easily distracted. Okay, stop right there. Uh, how many of you use these when you're designing your UIs? How many of you go back to this basic, these basic human behaviors and apply those? Okay, I see some hands go up. That's kind of where I'm going with this presentation, is why, why not use this stuff? Why not start there, or at least come back to those things as a, as a checklist? Here's my list, you know, we're curious, we're, we're afraid of change. Um, it's kind of an interesting you know, the, uh, quandary there. We seek out patterns. The brain specifically seeks out patterns. We like to order and organize things. We're intensely self-centered. We're lazy. We're highly visual thinkers and learners. We like to be the hero of the story, you know, narratives. Um, we respond to our name and other first-person cues, um, and so on. And then it's also fun just to, beyond these just things we know and we've observed and built up, to actually go and sit and watch certain scenarios. So. Um, while I was working on this presentation last week, I went to pick up some food at a restaurant. It wasn't ready when I got there. It was to carry out, but I started thinking about the tip jar and just obsessing on the tip jar. And I know there have been some studies done before um, with whether the tip jar is empty or whether it has money in it to begin with and how much, like is it a dollar bill or a $5 bill, $10 bill, and how that influences uh, whether people add to it. And of course, I think you know, bartenders are known for salting the tip jar, and that's the idea that you know, they'll put a, put a few dollars in there. That encourages people to you know, add more to it. And there's psychology behind it. You see that and you're like, oh, this is you know, what I must be doing. It's probably social proof, right? I need to add more money to it. Here was one. You know, I'm here on uh, is it Tuesday of this week, working downstairs in the lobby. And all these people start gathering, right? And, and I'm like, what, what's going on? And I, I remember something vaguely about the ducks, but I thought it was just, I didn't know it was like a celebration or something. I thought it was just you know, something that happened. So all these people are gathering around, and what's the natural human impulse? If you're sitting on the couch and you see this, like you look up and you see this, what do, what, what do we want to do? Yeah, what's going on? What's going, you know, so, 
And, and that's, you know, if you go to psychology, that's social proof. People follow the leads, the others. Uh, you know, if everyone's doing it, there must be something to it. It doesn't mean it's right, but we're curious about, you know, what's, what's going to happen. And we've seen this on the web in a variety of ways. You know, dig with things being uh, dug up or, you know, the news feed on, on Facebook. These are examples of social proof, activity, things going on. So going back to the list, you know, I, I made, um, let's start with one. We're curious. And we'll call this section being a tease. So Hot Wheels, these are, how many of you guys have, or how many of you have seen these Hot Wheels, the mystery Hot Wheels? Yeah, I, I have four boys, and uh, so I love Hot Wheels. And we'll go in, and it just amazes me. They'll have, like, you know, two or three dozen Hot Wheels, and they have these mystery Hot Wheels where it's blacked out, and you don't know what it is. And which one do the kids want? The mystery Hot Wheel. You know, they have a dollar they've saved up. We've got to buy the mystery Hot Wheel. This is fascinating. Why, you know, why is this? Here's all these, these knowns, and they want the unknown, right? Um, but it works on grown-ups as well, right? This is the don't open it CPK thank you card. So they, anyone seen this or anyone remember this? This is last year a campaign they did. It's at California Pizza Kitchen, and at the end of your dinner, they gave, this, the don't, gave you the don't open it CPK thank you card. And what it is is they tell you, um, bring this back next time you come to CPK. We'll open it then. And by the way, if you open it between now and then, it's void. Right? So a waiter or waitress has to open it when you return. And you are guaranteed to get something good. There'll be anything from a free appetizer up to like $50. Right? So they, and that's key. They, they tell you what it's going to be. They don't tell you it could be nothing. Right? So you know you're going to get at least a free appetizer. But it could be you know, your whole meal is paid for. Curiosity. Did it work on me? Yes, absolutely. Did it work on a lot of people? I, I assume so. So let's go, let's go online. Um, here's a screenshot from Netflix. And I like how they're, this is an earlier iteration of it, but I like how they're using Curiosity. This is the movie that just returned. They want to know, they want me to rate it. And again, going back to the business goals, the data, their data is getting people's ratings. And so this is a way they're using Curiosity to encourage me to rate things. So they say, rate your return to reveal two movies you'll love. And they've already got this with the ratings and things coming back. But here it's just isolating it and saying, we'll pick two movies that you might like based on rating this. So they're trying to encourage this behavior using curiosity. I think this is on Plaxo Pulse. And they put there, you know, Whirly posted new photos. And you see kind of the, the curled page. So they're kind of showing you samples of the photos. But if you want to see the actual photos, you have to add Whirly to your network. He's not in my network currently. Uh, LinkedIn. I believe this is from LinkedIn. Your profile has been viewed by 11 people in the last two weeks. Now, notice they're very specific. They don't end with, it's been viewed by 11 people. S sites that have tried to use curiosity in a vague way think it's le led to uh, more failed situations. Here are they actually specific. Someone at Team One Advertising, a principal in the design industry, an owner in the internet industry, uh, someone at you know, whatever these sites are. So they're telling me very specifically, but not explicitly, um, what, you know, who's looked at the profile. But if I want to actually see who did this, I have to upgrade, right? They're using curiosity to encourage me to upgrade. Quantcast, uh, you know, all this free data that you can see, you know, if you go ahead and type in just, you know, Quantcast slash and whatever the site domain name is, and really good, like looking at this data, I look and I'm like, this is presented really well, it's really interesting data, and you get to the bottom, and there's this page curl area, and it says, is this your site? And you'll notice they've, They've done some graphic design where it looks like you can kind of see through the paper and there's data behind there. It's a subtle thing, but I think it's very powerful. And you've looked at all this data that they're giving away free, and this is a way to entice you to say, look, we have, if you like this, we have more like this. In fact, you know, peel away the cover and you can see this area. 
So they're not just saying, you know, sign up and see more data. You can actually, your brain is seeing that, hey, there's something more here that, you know, unless I become a member or sign up, I can't see. So again, using that curiosity. Uh, one other example, one last example on how to be a tease. Uh, this is actually on lovely charts. And when we register, usually registration is a, se a sequential process. You register and it leads you to the, the page where you can start playing. Notice what they've done here. The registration page is over and on top of the application. So you can see the thing that you want to play with, but it's kind of grayed out. And until you register, you can't actually go play with it. But you can look. You can, it's kind of like window shopping. You can kind of see what's in the window. But until you actually open the door and go through, you can't actually interact with those things. So another way to use curiosity. Okay, playing hard to get. And I'm surprised more people haven't talked about this. Uh, what we're talking about specifically are constraints and other things that are counterintuitive. And so one that's, that I think is powerful but's probably been overused among a certain audience is the whole private beta. Like, you know, we're in a private beta mode or something. You know, give us your email address and we'll see if you're exclusive enough to be part of our group. All right? But I think something that's more powerful is private beta plus social proof. So think back to you know, the, the fountain scenario on the ducks and all the people. So if everyone in your social group is, is joining this new site, and oh, by the way, it's a private invite and you have to get one, that is extremely powerful. In fact, I, I don't spend a lot of time talking specifically about social proof in this presentation, but I did want to quote from Dana Boyd here. The single most important factor in determining whether or not a person will adopt one of these sites, talking about social networks, is whether or not it's the place where the friend, their friends hang out. I think that's key to remember. So going back to constraints, a private beta plus social proof, and to me that's just a powerful, powerful knockout punch. It's kind of like the, uh, you know, the exclusive nightclub that everyone's waiting in line around the corner to get into. Okay, Twitter. For me personally, that 140 character limit constraint was what encouraged me to do a lot more Twittering. I have a blog, and I blog occasionally, but to me when I write a blog, it's you know, more formal, it's something I have to be more careful with. If it's 140 characters, what can you do in 140 characters, right? So that actually freed me up to just to write trivial, silly things. So I think you know, even though it may start off as a te technical challenge, having that character limit has probably increased or encouraged a lot of people to participate. Um, there's a site, uh, Plinky. Anyone familiar with Plinky? Just launched. It's, uh, it's kind of like table, imagine table talk meets blogging, right? So you have these conversation starters and things they want, to, want you to respond to. And they have a new prompt every day. And I'm actually wishing they would implement something like this, because I love the idea. I love the idea of being prompted to write about something. But when I'm given that big empty form field, it's like, oh, well, what am I going to do? And how do I want to structure that? And you know, my, my personality sets in, and, and I never write anything. I've written one prompt. But if they said 250 characters or words or less, right? Or if they interrupted me during the day and, you know, with an IM message and said, hey, quick, you know, respond to this prompt. It was a more casual. I think I would participate a lot more. Um, or if they said, you know, this prompt will expire in seven days. You have seven days to respond. For me personally, I would say, okay, I want to respond to that, and the window of opportunity is going to be gone. Here's another one. This is a social network for churches and actually augments Facebook. And when you're set up your profile, they get to this part that says, all right, give us two words, just two words that describe what you're involved in or passionate about. And again, not an empty form field, list everything separated by commas, but they say, just give us two words. Um, we follow, uh, it's very popular, I think it may have launched in the last week or two. We follow says, give us three hashtags on Twitter that would describe what you're passionate about, what you were interested. And I Twittered, um, gosh, only three, this is really hard and frustrating. But I think having those limits actually encouraged the behavior. Well, just three, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and do that. All right, let me share an enterprise example. And this is, uh, 
This is an internal, internal knowledge sharing tool, and it's, it's called Sabertown. That was, it grew out of Saber Travel Network, and now it's a white-labeled product called Cubeless. Uh, but they've done some very, very powerful things around social motivation, constraints, things like that. This is, uh, this is a profile, someone who's been using it. This is uh, one of the guys on the team who built it. But what, what it is, it's kind of like Yahoo questions and answers with a heavy social component. So you set up your identity, you add tags about your personal and professional interests, things like that. And what it does, instead of just blanket questions to the community, is it tries to connect people up. So if you posted a question, it would go through the da database and try to single out two or three people who it thinks would be most capable of answering and responding to that question. So there's that pairing of people, it's personal then. And you know, like, likewise, you, you might receive a question and it says, we think you're the best person to answer this question because of you know, ac either activity you've done in the past or tags you've added about yourself. And so they're trying to encourage the social behavior and this knowledge sharing. One of the things that was interesting was you have you know, this photo you upload in your profile and you have these slots for more photos, but you go to add more photos and it says you need to earn 80 karma, point, or 80 karma points to unlock this photo spot. So you can't just freely you know, add a photo, you have to work for it. And this sounds counterintuitive, like most of the sites will do anything to, like, to like get people to participate. And here they're actually, they're putting a constraint in place. If you want to participate, you have to earn this. So then you do some digging around, what is this karma stuff, right? Well, it tells you a little bit, my stats and karma, it says you get karma for helpfulness, best answers, answers, questions, profile views. Um, that's as close as they come to telling you how you get karma. In fact, they're very clear um, about not being explicit about how you get karma points. And I think this is key when you're designing those social motivations. If you are explicit, then people will game the system. Like for every comment you make, you get a point. You know, and for every comment over this many characters, you get two points or whatever it is, right? They're, they are very careful to not tell you the rules and the algorithms behind the scene, how they figure karma points. Basically, it's be a good community member. Participate. So it's things like if you come back to the site often, if you answer a lot of questions, if you ask questions, if your question is you know, voted helpful by the person who receives it, you get karma points, but they don't tell you, they don't tell you what, how your actions relate to that. Here are the results of that. 60 to 70% of Sabre employees actively use the system each month. 60% of the questions asked are answered within one hour of posting. 90% are answered within 24 hours. There's an average of 30 page views per employee visit, and each question posted to the community receives an average of nine answers. That's that's powerful stuff. And that's a lot better than the wiki system we'd implemented previously. We had a wiki, but it had low adoption, low usage. They put in this system, man, it took off. Um, like I said, they white label it now and they're shopping it around. I think there are 80 or 90 enterprise companies that are using this internally now. But they some powerful things. So why did it work? Reputation. You have a reputation system. So if people come to your profile and they see that you've got five pictures, the big one and four others, that tells, tells people something about your participation in the community. You, know, you have points, karma points that you're having to work for, you have levels, um, and even scarcity, like you know, knowing that you have a window of time to respond to the question or other people will, will respond. You know, these are all things that it's leveraging. Okay, let's talk about friskiness, gifts, and pleasant surprises. And really I'm gonna highlight a specific company that I think does a fantastic job of playful design, which is what we're really talking about here. And that's this company called Doppler. Uh, and uh, Matt Jones, who's one of the, on the team behind Doppler, actually would call what I'm about to talk about delighters, right? Things you don't expect, they delight you, right? So, a little history. I met Matt Bidolf at the IA Summit uh, two years ago in Las Vegas, and 
at the time, he, he showed, opened his laptop and he showed me this application he's working on. And it was before it had a name or anything. He said, I'm trying to create an app for frequent travelers. And he described his situation to me. He's like, yeah, I'm traveling to four or five different locations every month right, around the world, going to all different places. And what I found was you know, there's lots of missed opportunities. That's a phrase that, that they use on the site, missed opportunities, where you know, I was in town at the same time another friend of mine was in town and we didn't know it. Right? Or I was in a town where someone you know, I would have liked to have known lives there was there. So they created Doppler based on the whole idea of serendipity. Where are you going to be next? And really, they want to know where, what city you're going to be when. And then they can show you, they can surface those missed opportunities so they're not missed opportunities. So the whole system is built on this idea of serendipity, of this, you know, finding those missed opportunities. And so here, Sunday, March 15th, you're at home in Plano today, you planned a trip to Memphis, and then it says who else is going to be you know, in Memphis at that same time, other people. They also have real playful language. You know, July, no trips, we envy you. Just adding stuff like that adds flavor, adds personality. Let me get to some of the more interesting things. Uh, if you use the system, you use Doppler for a while, you'll start to notice that the logo's kind of inconsistent. Like, they have different colors. And um, particularly like when on your profile, your colors are different from the standard logo. And that, you know, my brain was like, okay, why is that? Why do, why do they have the different colors? What do they mean? In fact, if you go across the whole site, um, you see the color used in all different ways. So like, you know, you'll start to see the colored rings on the map are all different. The colors around people are all different. The colors, they have, they have an area you can track your carbon. They have these colors. And it was the longest time before I figured out, oh, the colors are the cities, right? And they kind of personalized it based on the cities I go to. So they've created this, this visual language. I'm not sure all the algorithms are math, but apparently, it's not just random colors, but they've figured out based on, yes, Lou? Five minutes, okay. Uh, they've figured out the, uh, uh, all these different colors assigned based on these cities. So one of the things I was wrestling with trying to figure out. Okay, another thing they added recently was uh, personal velocity. And this was on their, if you have a public profile, they would assign a little avatar based on how frequently you travel. And it was, yeah, see all the laughs, it was fun. It wasn't you know, something we expected you know, to be associated with speed. In fact, I don't even know if they have you know, Jaguars or anything like that, or you know, G does. But anyway, it's, it's these fun little animals. And it's based, it's, it's not just random, it's based on how, like over the year, how much did you travel? And they find the animal that correlates to that in the animal kingdom. Uh, they take this offline, so they did uh, kind of with, Across between Moo.com and Doppler, they created Moopler little stickers. So you could actually create these color-coded stickers and stick them on your laptop for all the places you've been. It's not the Doppler logo. It's you actually personalize it based on places I've been. But of course, it's promoting Doppler. They did this uh, carbon count, so you could track your carbon count. Um, if you look at a city, I mean, they have information graphics all over the place. So you can actually see uh, how frequently people visit you know, the city, in this case, Seattle. Here was the big zinger, the big you know, surprise at the end of the year. They gave everyone uh, who's on the site an annual report for the travel. So this is my personal annual report for Steven Anderson for 2008. So you can see the different colors for all the different places I went. And they called out six of those places, or seven of those, uh, eight of those places. I can't count. Um, eight of those places. They had a Hummer to correlate you know, how much carbon did I use, so a very powerful visual image. Um, here's, I don't think Obama is a Doppler user, but someone created a report for Barack Obama. And you can see he did quite a bit of travel in 2008. And uh, you know, here's Brandon Shower's comment. Brandon Shower talks a lot about the long while and how to create engagement over time. And he says, you know, this month, Doppler surprised me, supplying me with something I didn't know I needed. The result, now I'm a more loyal Doppler user. So we're talking about playful design here. Why does this work? 
Pattern recognition, again, I wanted to figure out what those colors were. Playfulness, gifting, these things that really get the attention of our brain. Our brains you know, look for things that are curious or that we can't make sense of. All right, like I said, I got a lot of examples here. I want to fast forward to where this is going. Actually, this is a good one. Have you seen Jungle Book? Or, the, or this is a, like an email program, Chimp something. Anyone know the name? I, I was in my, what is it? MailChimp, all right. So you actually have the chimp's arm that says, you know, your email should be more than 600 or 500 pixels wide. And as you start to stretch out your browser, uh, and if you can read that, it starts to say ouch and stop it. And then eventually, uh, you know, you actually snap the monkey's arm off. So uh, anyway, so let me fast forward through a bit of these, because I want to kind of go to where I'm in the up with all this. Uh, the structure of my presentations is always this. what. So what, now what? And I always test my presentations by, do I have a now what that I'm ending with? Something that you can take away and use. And if the presentation wasn't like an eight tips or something like that, I want to make sure I have a takeaway. That's how, just how I structure all my presentations. So if you kind of abstract what I've been doing, I've been collecting and cataloging all these examples uh, and things like I like, where, I, where my response was, yay, that was a great experience, that was fun. And then I step back and I say, okay, hmm, why was that fun? Why did I enjoy I like? Why did I enjoy Doppler? And then I kind of I turn, it, you know, I do some personal observation, also crack open some textbooks, and I kind of look for things that I think would explain why that worked on me, you know. So that's kind of the process what I've been doing, and you'll notice all these little, you know, little tags I've been having fall. Those are the the principles I've identified. So, sorry, you won't get any nine tips or five lessons or anything like that. But I think what you're going to get is something a little bit better. What I've been working on collecting are all these. These tags, and these, you know, and what I want to do is turn that into a tool or something to use. And I don't have anything to give away here or launch, but uh, but I think this is something any of us could go back and create with a little time on Wikipedia and some other sites. So, you know, I'm starting to collect this pile of of think cards like social proof, reciprocity, duration effects, authority, scarcity, and these come from all different places. You know, Wikipedia, books like Influence. Um, stuff that Joshua Porter's done with social design, all different areas, and I'm collecting these. And my next goal is to turn these into cards, all right? A deck of cards. So you, you could have, you know, this card is for persuasion, so that's the intent or the purpose of the card. They'd be color-coded. And, you know, what, what realm or what discipline does it come from? What's the, what's the thing? Social proof, what's the short summary? What's some of the research or references you can go to? I want to take and create a deck of these cards. So you got 50 cards, right? And the idea is that you'd be in a setting where you're working on a site, you're evaluating a site, and you would say, how can we use, and you'd draw out the deck, you'd flip it over, social proof to you know, increase registration or whatever the goal is. So that's the thing I'm working on trying to create. Um, these, this presentation will be on SlideShare where you can definitely go through and start in your own list. Um, the, best, the best thing to do, I, I found as I came to the conference and even leading up to this, that this is a black hole subject. <laughs> um, I started thinking, okay, I'm going to find people's list. I'm going to synthesize it and have my own, you know, nice discrete list. Oh, it is a black hole and it's a nightmare and there's overlapping things and different language used for the same study. Uh, but there are at least four big areas that I've seen emerge, uh, four big topic areas. And so if you want to go start creating your own card set and your own tool list, these are four areas I go, go research. So one is social psychology, social design. So we've heard a lot about that at this conference. How, does, uh, you know, how do we leverage other social behaviors to influence certain you know, actions, right? Then there's persuasion, choice, influence, those types of things. Uh, 
I mentioned Caldoni in his book Influence. He has six principles that he goes through and identifies. So that's, a, that's an area you can do some keyword search and go down. Game mechanics, there's been several good presentations on that and how game mechanics work and what doesn't work. So that's a, a third avenue and area. And then really brain research, neuroscience, and cognitive seduction. What does our brain respond to? So on the surface, you may say, I don't respond to that, but the fact is our brains do. Our brains respond to these certain things. So fun, humor, playfulness, surprise, novelty, what things get our attention, what things stay in memory, uh, that's kind of a whole other direction. And then there are other, you know, tons of other disciplines that this will lead to. It's a rabbit trail that will go on forever. Um, but, you know, even if you stop at some point and say, okay, I've got 50 of these things, now how can I go back to my project? How can I flip one of these index cards out and, and figure out how to work it into a project? That's, that's kind of what I wanted to share and lead to. Um, like I said, I, I cut probably 100 slides, I fast forward through some, but the idea is take, collect these examples, when you, know, when you experience them, figure out why it worked, capture that in some way that you can use on future projects. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesnarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.